0: Listening to Living with ADHD and CPTSD, available on Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to another episode of Living with ADHD and CPTSD. Today, I have a guest on my show. Her name is Anna, and she is an ADHD coach who also has ADHD, and she works with adults so that they can have more success at work without working harder. Anna, thank you for coming on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here with you.
0: Yeah. So why don't you tell the audience, uh, about yourself, what you're, what you're doing and the purpose of it so that for adults with ADHD.
1: Yeah. Um, so should I start by explaining what an ADHD coach is? Because I know not everybody may have, have come across this idea. Um, so an ADHD coach is someone with knowledge about ADHD and about effective coaching. Um, and so, A coach's role really is to help you figure out what your goals are, kind of create that that space uh, where you can get in touch with what you really want, stripping away maybe the noise of what other people say, you know, um, and and really figure out what you want. And then we make a plan for the actions that you need to take to achieve those goals, right? Um, That's coaching in general. ADHD coaching we understand the challenges of ADHD, um, and in particular, ADHD makes it really hard to go from having a plan in mind to acting on that plan. You know, we forget to follow through. We know everything that we need to do, and then we forget to actually do it. Um, so it's it's working with those challenges, as well as you know things like setting healthy boundaries, which tends to be a challenge for most of the people I've worked with working on that core self-compassion after, you know, growing up, hearing more negative words than uh, non-ADHD children tend to. Sometimes I really need to work with clients on their self-compassion for them to really feel like they deserve to have goals and dreams for themselves, not for other people, to to kind of help that process happen effectively.
0: Excellent. Well, that's good. I know that the in Canada I did some research and looking for some ADHD coaches just as for myself because I was looking for one and where I live in Alberta there were actually only two in the province that at the time so it was there weren't a, a lot of them and it's, it which is too bad because I know that there'd be, there's a great deal of demand for people who have a lot of expertise and knowledge and understanding of ADHD. And they, I can imagine oh, there's so many people out there that would love that opportunity to be able to have someone who can guide them and help them through struggles and, when they're not exactly you know they don't necessarily know how to handle something or what to to help when it comes to adapting or to making some changes to ease their their st- the life the day to day life with ADHD and that's that would be like that's your that's your role more or less is to help uh, show them and give them an, a, a guidance or assistance to make their lives a little easier and the fact that you of course have ADHD as well. It's like a firsthand knowledge, like being, yeah, I know exactly what you, what you're going through. Here's a way to, to help yourself so that it's so much easier instead of struggling and having so much stress in your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, because I have ADHD myself, I'm never going to be judging my clients for the fact that they might find it difficult to respond to feedback. They might struggle to, you know, be organized and do the things they said they were going to do, you know, all of that stuff, you've got to find a coaching relationship where you can be really honest and vulnerable with your coach, that the quality of that relationship is the biggest factor that, that determines whether it's going to be really successful or not so successful. And you know, I've, I've had moments myself where I've been sat in therapy and I felt judged, right? And you just you shut down and you're not yeah. listening to anything and you're just like trying to hide away and protect yourself. And that's totally counterproductive to therapy, coaching, you know, anything. They're different, but but judgment is is the opposite of of either. And so yeah, because I have ADHD, I will not be judging anybody for the ADHD things that we do because I get it right. I've been there. Yeah,
0: for sure, absolutely. Now, what would you say when I I I'm sure you've had quite a like a lot of clients that, that have come in and the, since you've been doing this, what would you say would be the most like like if if you were to say you had okay, I'll just say a hundred people in in a year or two, a couple of years what would you say would be the most common thing that they say is holding them back or that is he- making them hesitant to wanna have a coach? Like, what, what do we say is, is making them kind of, you know, not immediately just say, yeah, I, I wanna do this?
1: Yeah, I think um, for a lot of people, it's feeling like they don't need special treatment or they don't deserve special treatment. Um, and there's this sense of like I've modeled through up until now yeah I'm about to have a nervous breakdown because I'm so overstressed yeah I'm watching people get promoted past me even though they're my ideas that they're implementing but I've managed up until now because we get used to being stressed and we get used to just kind of surviving and we go "Well, I'm managing I'm coping and the reality is only just, right? And it, and you deserve so much more. You deserve to be succeeding yeah. on a bigger level and not exhausting yourself in the process. Hmm. But it starts to feel normal. Being stressed, being overworked, being just on the edge of coping can start to feel normal. And so people are like, well, do I really need to change this? Maybe I can just keep going for another year.
0: Right. So they, they almost, it, it's kind of like they... They have a hard time admitting to themselves that some, some help would be a great deal of benefit. So they want to try and push them push on their own rather than get help because they're, it's like a, almost like a fear, there's fear involved.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I know that your, your podcast is also about trauma. Most neurodivergent people, you know, that I work with, almost all have some form of trauma, you know, different forms. Yeah. But one of, very common response to trauma is this fierce independence, right? It's It's hard to admit that you need help. That involves vulnerability.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know, like, I don't know, do you have your customer base is it is it mostly in england or is it or is there like uh outside of it like in in europe or do you have uh customers across across the ocean or
1: um yeah so my one to one coaching is mainly in the uk and also um, a few in the united states huh. my group coaching and um kind of self Talk, like courses that people take themselves through um, yeah, right. throughout the world. I've had people from at least four continents uh, on my group coaching programs.
0: Wow. So what would you find? Like, I've heard a lot of, like, I, I guess I want to say stories, but I've had some, some guests previously on my show that are from the United Kingdom. And a lot of common things that they say is that, the people in the United Kingdom are less willing to discuss or reveal certain things like emotionally or vulnerability about like being vulnerable about their issues because like society is more reserved, like a little, like they're less, they're less emotional. And they really present that, I know in, in fantasy and TV a lot of times as well, but they even said themselves that in, in the UK, people are not as willing to discuss it because they it, it's not something that they feel is is open, like they're not as open to it as, as like in the US or in Canada, for example.
1: Yeah, there's definitely something in that. I I hope it's changing. Um, it certainly used to be the case that, you know, Brits, we have a stiff upper lip, we don't tell anybody yeah. what we're feeling and we just muddle on through um which of course if that's your attitude it's going to be really hard for you to seek help and and admit that help could be beneficial um but I think a more American attitude is is kind of crossing the pond in a way and people are starting to realize hey we've got these things called feelings and that's allowed
0: that's great yeah I know because it's it's awful. Like you said, it's it's extremely difficult to make any kind of progress and get any real help and improve your life if you're not really willing to express your fears or your concerns with someone, because until you can do that, it, you can't really make much progress at all, because that's the that's one of the keys to to getting better and and, you know, making progress. With, with anything, not just uh, like learning to, to cope with ADHD or trauma, is you have to be able to be vulnerable and trust that person and express your thoughts and your feelings to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, difficult problems aren't solved by individuals working alone. Difficult yeah. problems are solved by multiple people with different strengths working together. I have a coach myself because I have my blind spots and I need somebody who's not in my situation to be able to gently reflect things back to me to to help me become more self-aware. We all do. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, of course. Even even the experts have have their have their help because not nobody I don't think there's anybody out there that knows everything, you know, like there's and and they have their own I think there's very few people out there that, that don't have some kind of a, an issue that they need assistance with because they can't do it by themselves. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. Wow. Okay. So in your day to day, like when you're helping these people with ADHD, like what would be Okay, let's say it's their first day, and they, and and so they they they've been introduced to you, and and they're starting this this process. What would you start them with, and how how do you introduce your your coaching, and what makes it easy for them, or or to hopefully would be easy for them?
1: Yeah, um. So the first session is always on goal setting. So I'm teaching a specific goal setting methodology. We're exploring what the goals are and we're beginning to start that relationship um, because typically people don't want to tell all of their deepest secrets to somebody that they've met once. Um, and so yeah. the first couple of sessions, I find, need to be sort of fairly safe feeling in the sense of a little bit surface. You know, right. the, the real deep work meet, relies on a, a foundation of trust that isn't built in an instant. Um, so goal setting is kind of practical enough that it feels safe. It's useful because I've got a specific way that I do it that works for people with ADHD. So then my clients take that skill away and they can go and set their own goals in the future. And, we're be- you know, I'm beginning to get to know what's important to somebody but it's not like what are your deepest neuroses. It's where do you see yourself three months from now. It's it's fairly right. concrete.
0: So so make it easier for them, because obviously yeah, like you said, they need to learn and feel that they can trust you as a as a person and as a coach. So then they'll be able to eventually open up more and then they make then they make their progress. It, well obviously every appointment is going to have progress. It's just that they have to get to that point where they can open up and be be vulnerable and be able to tell you information so that they you can start to really get into the to the root of it or and help them get there where to where they need to go
1: yeah yeah so so the first session is always goal setting the second session is often on routines again like it's really practical loads of us need help with routines there are specific techniques to do routines that are different if you have adhd and you don't have adhd right this kind of general advice on routines is probably not going to be very helpful for someone with adhd but again it's still you know it's the everyday. it's again it's that sort of we know what we're talking about and it's not too scary and then after that we might start to go more into you know where where finding out actually where are the real issues where are we going to do the real work yeah
0: interesting absolutely and that yeah that's a that's a definitely a good way of starting uh, myself i would i think that would be how i would want to to start because yeah, you need you you don't. I think even if it was like a, you're going to a therapist for trauma, you're not going to say this is what happened to me back in the day and and it's, and tell them everything because, uh, you know, you need to you need to, they need to gain their clients' trust, their patients' trust, so that that they'll feel comfortable and open to be able to share. What's happened and and share their emotions and feelings it's and so it's the same among every sort of profession it it doesn't happen immediately. yeah
1: yeah it takes it takes time to build that relationship
0: yeah.
1: and it, you so, know it can vary yeah. if if somebody wants to say on session two, actually what I really need to work on is this, then okay, great, well, I'll follow that lead. absolutely um, but I'm not going to pressure somebody too early on in that way
0: yeah yeah that which is obviously a smart way to go <laughs> um so is there anything that you do when when you have clients is this, is there something that you find works really well like compared to maybe a, other coaches that that you find has is a really good method or a really good way of um of showing them that that you're you're you know you're going to be helpful you're going to be very easy to to follow easy to trust like what what do you do that would be different
1: yeah so my coaching program is more structured than traditional coaching traditional coaching is more of the so what do you want to talk about today um (laughs) which i haven't found helpful for myself or for my clients because we know what we need to talk about, but it's not at the front of our mind. And when somebody asks that open-ended question, it doesn't help us connect to what we want to talk about. It just yeah. makes us feel like we're under pressure and our thoughts disappear. And now it's kind of awkward, which isn't building trust. Um, whereas yeah. I find if I say like, oh, we're talking about... Um, psychological safety today how do you create a culture of psychological safety as a leader then people go oh that reminds me of this thing that i need to talk about you know once the conversation is happening adhd is a very connective thinkers we can connect in what we need from the conversation to what's being said but we don't like to start i've found from nothing
0: absolutely yeah building up is is a a good way of making progress cuz they you know it, it's a lot to handle for anyone uh, never let alone ADHD like someone who has ADHD and especially if they're if they're really if they struggle with with focus and attention like if if, if that's one of their main areas that they really have a problem with it can it can make it more difficult to follow along And it might even possibly hold them back a little bit and maybe slow it down because I know for myself, it's it's easy to become distracted and suddenly without realizing it, you might miss like a quarter or a third of of the conversation and not necessarily know what's been said. And they might be kind of embarrassed or shy to, to admit that they've... That they've missed something or that they got distracted so again that's that kind of like that trust aspect that if they're if they're open to saying to you oh shoot i got distracted i'm sorry i missed something if they're not willing to do that it it can be a bit of a struggle at first
1: yeah, and and one of the other things that I do with my program is I give my clients resources. So a workbook with kind of prompts to help them put into practice what we're talking about and videos of me explaining the parts that I need to explain. So if they miss something, forget something, right? I've got really awful working memory and a lot of other people with ADHD do too. Yeah. So it's there as that reference to, to look back to
0: okay excellent now do you have so like so let's say it's the first session again and do you have like do you have a very clear like set of expectations that you put ahead like saying okay like trying to show or give them the ability to to really feel as relaxed and and to not feel pressure because i know that sometimes people don't know what is going to happen or they don't really know what to expect. So do you really kind of put it all like at the front and say, okay, this is how, this is what we're going to do. This is, and don't worry about if you forget something or it's okay. Like to try to put them at ease so that they don't feel like they have to be absolutely 100% focused or, or concentrating on you, like shut everything off. Do like, is, is there something that you you help them out so that when they start they're not thinking oh my god I've gotta I gotta be so so in in tune and, and ready to go and not worry about anything
1: um yes yeah, so I I send an email with sort of expectations and um, a bit of information so they will know that the first session is going to be on goal setting they'll know where to access the material because for a few people um they really want to like see what we're going to talk about ahead of time to feel that kind of sense of reassurance like most of my clients don't sort of watch it as homework ahead of time but but a few do find that reassuring so that's available um yeah but i'm wondering like what what else i could do because it it is a very anxious time that first session i think absolutely yeah wondering
0: yeah that's, that's, that's good. Like, I know, cause it's so common for people it, like ADHD. It, it just, there's, if they have a lot of, uh, like friends or, or they if they have coworkers or, or a manager that makes them feel nervous or like anxious because maybe they're, they don't want to necessarily tell them about it or, or they're worried like they go to work and they're and they're or, or school like the university and they go and they're kind of they're very nervous because they haven't necessarily told anybody that they have ADHD so they're trying their best to to be normal <laughs> they you know they're trying they're trying their best to to be able to focus and to to take notes and to be to fully be uh, attending or attentive to the to the class it it's so hard to, to, to be feeling comfortable and to feel relaxed and to, to not allow their minds to just wander and get, you know, because especially with ADHD, it just, it can go so fast and it can, and it can get really kind of out of hand awful quick. So make, allowing them, giving them that sense of understanding and that, and that those expectations ahead of time and that no pressure or that no, like, don't worry about, about this. Don't worry. It's not something that we're going to expect you to be able to, to handle or to do or to know right away. It, it really gives them that, that ability to to be calmer and not because, well, you know, ADHD, we're going to, we're going to automatically have that, that sense of panic sometimes if, if we feel like it could get out of hand awful fast.
1: Yeah. And I, I do have tools that I can use with clients to help them regulate themselves. If if things have gone out of hand, if they've been really vulnerable and shared maybe something that's really difficult and they've become a bit triggered in that process, yeah. then we can kind of take a breath and um, do some exercises to just uh, calm that nervous system back down before we kind of move on. because coaching is all about the the future what's happening now and how that impacts the future so it's it's not like a lot of therapy is digging into you know why why is it like this but if something comes up and has triggered someone i don't find it kind or helpful to sort of pretend they're not triggered and keep going regardless yeah. i think there's got to be that moment of of acknowledgement and um yeah regaining that emotional regulation or that nervous system regulation before you're then ready to kind of go back to talking about what you're going to do next
0: right so when before you like at the beginning of the session and and i'm done necessarily the first or the second but i'm saying like down like you've been doing multiple sessions is there is there a routine that you tend to run at the very beginning, or even at the end of the session, to kind of start like a like a breathing method, a tool, uh, a grounding method, something that you use to help with focusing, or you know, to to have a good start to the session so that it's as productive as possible. Is there anything that you do?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I've actually been um, just thinking about adding this in or especially for the group programs so that everybody can kind of come into that space together um yeah and and start off with something like that um with with one-to-one it tends to be more of a just a check-in you know is there anything that you want to share or do you want me to dive in um see where we're at just that permission for people to tell me if there's stuff going on but no obligation like if you don't want to tell me how you are you you don't have to we don't have to do like that chit chat because i know sometimes people don't want to do that chit chat um yeah
0: um okay that's that's good i i know that for myself that would be a an excellent way to to do a, a start or even if it's in the middle of a, of a session two to kind of do a check-in. Um, I know that my, my therapist occasionally checks in with me to see how my state is, because I know that talking about something, especially if it's a very s- a tense or serious um, situation or example that, that I'm talking about, he wants to make sure that I'm how I'm feeling, that I'm and I'm okay, I'm grounded and I'm not anxious, you know, like he wants me to be able to be grounded and feel calm to keep a level mind instead of, you know it, so do, have, do you see that often where they just start to go and they just and and you can tell that there's like a level of, of excitement's really starting to build up or they're getting tense or maybe they're starting to get triggered a little bit like, is do you have any anything that you use or like? I, I know you do that at the beginning where you check in, but just so that people in case in case they're getting a little overexcited or maybe they're they're starting to feel that that tenseness or that anxious feeling
1: yeah um, so it's interesting as you're talking about it, I could see a little bit more tension in you, I think, yeah, um, so it, you know, it's about reading body language where possible and just kind of knowing, is this the good avenue to push on, or do we need to to ease back? Uh, partly it's that, and you talked about kind of excitement and being triggered. For me, it's quite different. So if somebody's like, enthusiastic and they're you know they're sharing a lot and they're really interested in this maybe it's a special interest I wouldn't really see that as a problem Um, I would have an eye on kind of how much time is left and what I need to say and I might you know okay but can we bring it back to the topic but usually you know as long as space and time allows I I let people run with what they're interested in if they're triggered it's different though then it would be like okay I can see that thinking about that brings up some feelings for you. You know, you don't need to tell me about that event that happened. Actually, we're focused more on the here and now. What can you see in the room around you? That kind of thing. I've been told I have a soothing voice. So I think sometimes if I'm talking instead of kind of questioning, that can just help people to settle for a moment.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, I know that my... I, the one thing I have a problem with is I get so into the convert, like my, the topic that I'm discussing that it, it, I drown out other, everybody else. And there's always that importance of allowing other people to have their word or to say their, their piece or or it get into the, like, instead of it being a one-sided conversation, it try to have a shared, shared conversation where everybody gets to talk about it and, and you have to, you say what you want to say and then you need to, to change and listen to what they're talking about so that everybody kind of shares. Yeah. Some people do that where they just, they they don't, they get so going that it's like, if, if you let them go, they could go forever. <laughs> and... Yeah. We, yeah, we
1: verbally process often with ADHD and... You know, that's, it's not appropriate in a lot of situations. So I'll teach my clients, you know, don't verbally process in the big meeting with all your senior leaders. Um, they're not going to appreciate that. But we do verbally process and that's that's an important tool for us to use. Yeah. Um, and I think in a coaching session is often an appropriate time for a client to be verbally processing because it's not an equal we should each input into the conversation equally. It's a space for the client. And if them talking through things is helping them increase their understanding of what they're gonna do next, that for me, right. that's a, a good result.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I guess, I think part of it is they, I don't know, have you had a lot of clients that they maybe they have a partner or, or uh, maybe they've got a boss or a coworker that is telling them, "You talk so, you talk a lot, or, or you're always yeah. talking." Like, do they does do they kind of sense or not sense? But do, can you sense in them where there's a bit of hesitation? Or because of the past, where they, where people are always telling them, "You just talk too much. You, you, you don't let other people talk. You're always in your head." Do you notice some of the times where they bring that out and they say, "I, I'm, I can't. I'm, I, I, I'm scared to talk. I, I want to express myself, but I always been told that I, that I, it's too much, and I'm, and I don't share the topic, or I don't, you know, I'm not listening to anybody." It, is there anything that you tell them or, or show them that to to guide them along? Because I, I I'm I know eventually it gets to the point where it's it's almost like trauma related because they're they instead of now talking, it it holds them back because they realize that their their ADHD is is kind of getting in the way of of their friendship or their relationship or their
1: their work yeah um so some people talk a huge amount because they want to feel in control and they are scared that if they stop talking somebody else is going to talk and they can't predict what that person is going to say and that is terrifying so they just talk and they fill all of the space um maybe that's familiar and
0: yeah
1: you know it's but that's a symptom of a problem. So I don't want to be like addressing the symptom like you have 30 seconds to talk and now it's gone and you must be quiet because that's not <laughs> addressing the problem. the problem yeah. is getting more comfortable with the unexpected, you know, having that sense within yourself that actually you're an adaptable human being who is a creative problem solver who will manage to respond to whatever the other person says if you just give them a chance. Um, right. You know, that failure is not defining of you you as a person. You can say the wrong thing to somebody and be forgiven and try again next week and and make amends because we can have this binary thinking where if I say the wrong thing, like, that's the end of the world and I'm now a terrible person. So it's it's yeah. breaking out of that. And then as a result... People will start allowing more space in the conversation for others. But that's not where I'm working. I'm working on the root. And then that happens because we don't yeah. want more shame associated with you're talking too much. You know, we've all had those negative voices. We don't, I don't want to be adding to them. I yeah. want to be addressing why that's happening.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Now, you mentioned earlier about working memory. And that's a very common uh, affliction and issue with people who have ADHD, especially people who are inattentive. Um, they, I know for myself, I I do have an issue, and it's it can be very glaring sometimes. Where I just I'm working on something, or I've I have a plan to work on something, and it takes nothing for me to forget about it or and 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 then you're standing there and you're and you look like you're you're confused because I'm trying to think what was I gonna do I'm trying to remember what I was doing I had a plan and then it just it just you can't get it back and I know this is a very common thing with a lot of people because their their executive functioning is just is not very good and so it, it affects so many things What is, do you, is there any method or like training or anything that you have or that you've shown your clients to help? Like, I know there's adaptations. I know you can do reminders, you can do um, calendars, you can do notes. There's all sorts of things that you can do to help. But one, the, the biggest thing I've noticed is it's in the moment that, that moment that you're doing something and you forget, it's that habit of rem- of remembering to make the note, to, to make the reminder, because you're you're so busy doing your work or doing that task that you say to yourself, yeah, okay, I, I will make a reminder or I'm gonna make sure I do that, but then you forget. And I'm sure that's, a, that's what a lot of people see are having issues with is, they, they know that they can do these things, they can, they can adapt, but they, it, it's that remembering to do that. It's that building that, that uh, habit of, oh yeah, I, I got to make sure I make this note, I've got an appointment, or I, I, I want to clean the the garage, or I, or I want to vacuum the, the upstairs room, I got to make sure I make a note but they're doing something in the they're they're working or they're or there's a you know like they've they're really focused on something and it's that building that habit of taking that moment to to make the the reminder or make that adaptation work what what do you think is is there something that you notice is it is it just a is it like routine or is it, it what what gets in that way Cause,
1: routine is some of it um minimizing interruptions is some of it so that's the moment that we forget right it's when the ping comes up you've got a new email and then you forget what you're doing and you move to attend to that so turn off those notifications so you have fewer interruptions um I was curious with the examples you were giving some of those didn't sound like super critical things to me some of those sound like things that I would maybe allow myself to forget if I was super focused on something else and then it'll probably come back to me at another time. Maybe it won't. Maybe the garage will stay untidy. Maybe that's not the end of the world.
0: Hmm. I Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess, see, I, I have a, I have a difficult time. Like it's, it's getting better. Like I've, I have a, I'm on a couple different medications, ones for ADHD and another ones for anxiety, but the, uh, together they've really helped. It's just, I'm, there are still moments where, I guess, for example, um, I'm, I'm cleaning the dishes at, at the end of the night and there's, I forget one or two dishes. It's, it's not right there in front of me it's kind of off to the side. And I'm so focused on it that I see it. And I think to myself, yeah, okay, I'll get it. I'll take care of it. But then I I finish up what I'm doing and walk away. And then it's it sits there. For, and it sits there overnight or sits there for a day. And yeah. I keep saying to myself, oh, shoot, right. I'm going to, I have to remember to do that. It's just in that moment, I'm not sitting there going, okay, and grab my my notepad and write down. It's, yeah. it's that thought of it.
1: I think it really helps to have a specific example because I don't think it's like a one size, this is how we solve it. I think this is yeah. what coaching is about. It depends on the individual and their individual right, problem. Yeah. So in that case, I would think it is about routine. I would suggest that at the end of your washing up, you need to add a step to the routine, which is like, check the places where dishes hide out um, so that you're not kind of marking it as done until you've done that check. You could even write out a physical checklist and laminate it and get a whiteboard pen and be like, I've done step one. I've done, you know, so that you know that you haven't missed any steps. So you're not having to remember each dish each time. You're just going through a process which will ensure that you get all of the dishes. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely yeah that that makes a lot of sense it's it's a physical tool that you're using to help it's like an adaptation it's it's one of the uh, that's that's a method that would clearly work and i that would be so beneficial for not just for myself but for anyone who does have that that hard time of multitasking now i know that uh some of the research that i've done a lot of people are recommending to get into a habit of only thinking about one thing at a time do that work when that work's done then move on to the next don't don't think about or if if something pops into your mind don't attach to it don't continue with it let it let it go away and, or, or write it down or something, but have, build that habit of continuing to do what you're doing currently rather than, oh, right, I have to take the garbage out. And then so you take the garbage outside and next thing you know, you're looking in the yard and something distracts you. Yeah. And three hours Tomorrow later, you're back you Tomorrow you find the dishes at... in the sink. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I know, like, there's so many different ways and everybody's a little different.
1: Yeah. It's, but you I know, think you'd you're right that you want to kind of stay on what you're on, but you want to feel like it's safe to stay on what you're on. So the routine yeah. or the checklist is giving you that safety. It's saying you can forget about that dish because you have a process that will take care of it. And so then it's easier to let that thought go because you don't need it. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't sit there and constantly push and remind you or, or distract you. Absolutely. Huh. That, that, that makes so much sense. Now is, I, I don't know how many people you've seen since you've started. So I'm, I'm assuming you've got, you've seen quite a few people. Um, yeah. of all those that you've seen, what would you say is the, is the, the one or maybe the two problems that seem to always come up that you're always that you notice is a very common uh issue that just keeps happening like like more than any more, more than anything else
1: i think for me the the fundamental thing that keeps coming up and up and up is we don't have a good connection to ourselves. We're not in tune with what we we really want and what we really need. And if we do manage to identify it, we too easily label things as wants when they're actually fundamental to our happiness. Um, so encouraging people to get to know themselves better know what they want, and believe that they deserve those things. For me, that's the real heart. People normally come in saying something like, I'm a little bit disorganized, I've missed some deadlines, can you help me with that? And it's like, okay, sure, but what's under there? (laughs) You know, because actually nobody's like most pressing problem in their life is that they're a bit disorganized.
0: Um, Yeah, there's more to it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's very true. I know that was actually not that exact example but yeah i i had that issue too where i i thought it was something very simple but you know like a oh i'm i forget every time every time i get up in the morning and i'm trying to get to work i i'm like almost like i'm running like a chicken with its head cut off because i can't remember where this is where that is and i i thought oh that's my biggest problem <laughs> right? Like that's, that's where I always deal with. And then you realize after some investigating or someone else help, you know, showing you, well, there's more to it than just, you know, not being, um, well-organized and not being, not planning out your, 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 the beginning of your day too well. There's so much more to it. And you soon learn that, because you're you've got that poor working memory and you got that that executive function that just doesn't work right that you're you have that prone tendency to to put things down where they don't belong and you forget that that's where you put it and that entire day goes by and you go to bed and you you don't even realize you have no idea that this is important for you the next day so your keys are missing and your phone is somewhere and and your lunch bag is is off in the corner and it, they don't realize that there's there's so much you can go so deeper into that and discover that yeah this is this is your cause this is why and then it helps them to understand and then they can learn to whether it's building a routine or having an, uh, like adapting that, okay, you go to bed at night, make sure that you're prepared, make sure that everything that you need is, is in a spot, have a, has a designated location, build a habit of always putting it in the same spot every time. Don't just put it down. If you know, unless it's, that's where it's going to be like, if that's where it's supposed to go, don't put it there. It, It's not as simple as just, oh yeah, I I keep forgetting my keys.
1: Yeah. And, and with that example, I think what it illustrates that we often think we should be better at doing things the neurotypical way, when the reality is we need to accept that that way is not the right way for us and just find yeah. a different way. So, you know, maybe there are people in your life going, I just remember where my keys are. You just need to remember where your keys are. It's not that hard. But like, it is that hard. It's pretty much impossible. It's not going to happen. It's not a matter of willpower. It's a matter of acknowledging. I can't remember where I put my keys. How can we problem solve? Well, I guess if I always put them in the same place, I don't have to remember because they're always going to be there.
0: Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. Do you, when you, okay. So you, when you're working with your clients and you've been with them for a while, like, is there any sort of, Like program, like, okay, let's say like an organizing or an organizer or like a, like, let's say a physical calendar or something, something that they, you can teach them or show them to use that is because they say that physical visual reminders are, are really good because we have a tendency that I think the word is out of sight, out of mind. Like if, if things are hidden or if we put something away, there's, there's that good chance that we're going to forget, or we're not even going to remember or even think about it. So if we have stuff in front of us that says, here's your, here's your day to day, this is what you're doing, or this is where this is, or this is what you're, you know, do you find that, is there anything that you show them or that you build or teach them that, that they can use like how, how do you help them with with that kind of thing
1: I think again it, it is quite individual because it's not just out of sight out of mind it's right. it's, like, it's not interesting I'm not going to think about it like it could be yeah. right behind your computer and you could see it every day but after a week you're going to tune it out if it's not relevant and interesting to you so it's sometimes we have to change tools because sometimes we just get really bored of something and it stops working and we have to change to something new so I'm not attached to any particular tool it's right. it's the principles that I want my clients to understand so you know the principle is if you don't write down your appointments somewhere you will forget half of them like I know that's true in my experience and it's it's yeah. true in, in yours yeah. as well so Absolutely where is going to be the most convenient place for you to write your appointments down in the moment that you're making them? Because the less friction there is, the more likely you are to use the tool. And and how are you going to remember to check it? And, and it doesn't matter what the tool is, you know, it might I have a, a big desk calendar because I do like the physical and the visual. I also have a calendar on my phone because that's with me at all times. You know, I don't yeah. necessarily recommend that duplication, but it depends on the
0: individual. Right. Absolutely. That's 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 extremely important. I agree. Like I I just don't personally that you you know you make a good point about the the if it's interesting or not like it's true because there are times in my own life where something that is ex- extremely important or is is really interesting it's so much easier to remember to make the point of of making reminders or to to tell yourself uh, later on that day hey you remember you're doing this but then the opposite if it's like oh i really don't want to do this but i know i have to you're you're so much more likely to forget because it's almost like you're mentally making that choice like you're saying i am purposely hoping (laughs) to forget in a way right like
1: yeah i mean we we, our brains are interest driven so if there's no interest our brain is going to be like it's, it's not a conscious choice uh no yeah
0: so do you when when okay so i know that they they say that the the big thing that always seems to affect people is uh dopamine like because obviously with adhd there's there's that issue with the like maintaining like the the dopamine hits you get that but it only lasts it's not like it's permanent like you you have it and then eventually it wears off because you get used to something and the interest starts to wane and it starts to fall so do is there do you have anything that you use to teach your clients to uh, like to freshen it up or to make to keep things interesting or to change because i know routines obviously are going to have to are going to get boring to some people how, do, what, what do you recommend for them to to kind of keep things interesting so that they don't lose the interest? They adjust, like, you know, always make it, like changing it up so that it's always interesting.
1: Yeah, um, so for example, a lot of people wanna start an exercise routine. Um, so what I would say then is the routine should be pockets of time when you intend to exercise but you get to choose what you do in that time. You know, you might be really into cycling and go cycling every week for three months and then decide that you hate it and start alternating yoga with rock climbing. Like it doesn't matter yeah. what you're doing. If you keep that time to do something, you've got that balance of routine and flexibility.
0: Right. Yeah, that that that's, that's an interesting way of, of doing it because... I know a lot, there's a lot of people out there that it's almost like they think there's an obligation to to continue doing that. And I think the best example is, is the New Year's resolutions, right? Like, it's it's the beginning of the year. I'm going to change the way I eat. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to start a new hobby. And even... <laughs> people who don't even have ADHD only, it only lasts for a few weeks or or maybe a few days and they just don't want to do it anymore because they find it too difficult. Right. And so I'm imagining someone with ADHD finding a new hobby. It's so exciting and it's so fun. And they say, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this all the time. And then it, it just a month later, two months later, it's like, Where's that new hobby that you were doing uh you know, I'm not interested anymore. It, it, it's not the same it doesn't you know like there's that they they lose that right away so like do is your your method is actually really interesting it because it doesn't it doesn't make them feel obligated to always have that exact that that routine or that exact hobby or that um task that they have to do every single time i i like that method because it allows them a variety and it and it keeps it keeps it fresh for them right. yeah um
1: that's was interesting. there anything else or um
0: um yeah just one more question actually yeah i was i've been thinking about this who like what what made you want to become a coach, like an ADHD coach? What was your inspiration to do that?
1: Sure. So I was—I worked in tech for a bit over a decade. Um, you know, very successful, set up a team, all of that stuff. Um, but it wasn't really making me happy. Uh, it was kind of making me a bit burnt out. And so I impulsively quit my job and decided to become a coach. Huh, surprise, surprise. At this point, I didn't know I had ADHD, right? So I just decided to become Uh a a coach in general. Um, And... A couple of women in my area came to me and said, we've been diagnosed with ADHD and we've been told we should have an ADHD coach, but we don't really know what that is. And also there aren't any. Um, this was pre-pandemic when everybody was working face-to-face as well. Yeah. And they just, there literally weren't any in my area. Um, so they said, well, well, will you help us? And I was like, hmm, a new challenge, an interesting thing to learn. Yes, let's do this. Nice. Um, and I, I kind of through the reading that I did to support them and, and working with them. I, basically, the penny dropped. So I was like, OK, right. I, I have ADHD. Um, and so I, you know, I changed what I was doing and, and focused much more specifically then on ADHD.
0: Excellent. Well, that's that's fantastic. It's like now. Are do you are there a lot of them in your area, or is or are you kind of like that where there's there aren't too many options available for someone, or is like for well ages?
1: nowadays people can see any coach anywhere in the world, right? Yeah. I work almost exclusively online, um, so that there still aren't many options in my area. Um, I mean, I think there's a shortage. In general but yeah you know people it's, it's much easier now for people to find the person that's a good fit for them they don't just have to find the person who is closest to them
0: absolutely that's good so you obviously really enjoy like help the the help that you give out and and the advice um is there anything that you take away from it like like the different clients that you have what what do you take away from it that helps you
1: Um, I mean, like so many of us, you know, I want to, I want to feel useful in that my work is changing somebody's life. um, And because that then ripples out, doesn't it? You know, you, Mm -hmm. when I really work deeply with a client, that impacts on their family, on their colleagues, and, and out into the wider community. And for me, that's, it's more meaningful for me to work with somebody I know Whereas before when I was in tech, you know, maybe I was producing, for example, I worked on fraud detection, like fraud is bad, detecting fraud is good, but you never meet the people who were impacted by that. You can never say, you know, this is Sally and she wasn't defrauded because your software did its job. Uh, And so, you know, that for me, coaching just feels much more impactful in a tangible way.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it'd be nice if there were more like more coaches out there because with the short, like you say, there's a shortage. It, it, it does make it difficult for someone trying to find a coach that's suitable because I know personally there are coaches out there that, that handle ADHD and trauma together as like an actual method and then there are ones that just just focus on adhd so it it's awful difficult to get a a suitable coach that is that really helps them that they feel comfortable with so yeah
1: Yeah. and so i'm i'm pretty much fully booked at the moment but i have a group program that's starting in september and that's a great way for people who are maybe just starting to realize that they need help to, um, commit in a less intensive way than working one-to-one, um, and get some really excellent tips
0: and support. Awesome. Well, that's, that's great. Um, everything today, like we talked about was extremely informative and really helps not only myself, but I'm sure my audience is going to get a great deal of, of, Insight from what's been said today. Um, I would love to see that that video, and I I will I will definitely share your website with my audience because I do have quite a few people who are from the United Kingdom that actually listen to my show. So anything to help them would be incredibly beneficial to them, I'm sure. Okay, excellent. Well. Thank you, Anna, for coming on my show. Um, this was this was really good and I got so much out of this and I'm sure my audience is going to get a lot out of this as well. So thank you for coming on.
1: Great. Well it's been really nice to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Thanks so absolutely. much. Absolutely same me. here.
0: Yeah. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. Um, If you have any questions that you'd like to ask, um, either myself or Anna, and I can, of course, relay them to Anna, um, you can get a hold of me. There's uh, Twitter, which is at ADHD and CPTSD. There's my email address, uh, livingwithadhdandcptsd at gmail.com. All right, everyone. Um... I hope this was a, an informative episode for, for everybody in my audience and I will talk to you next time. Alright, bye everyone.